Hey guys, and welcome to another episode of Genuine Chit Chat. This week, I am joined by the author, Tracy Maxfield. Now, just a little bit of detail before we go into the chat. Uh, Tracy's book is called Escaping the Rabbit Hole, and it can be found on our website, and I've included that in the links in the description. Um, and just in brief, uh, we speak about a great many things in this chat, including uh, Tracy is very open about her nervous breakdown that she had, which leads on to sort of how she got onto this mental health and sort of anti-bullying journey and things like that, including writing the book Escaping the Rabbit Hole. Um, she also speaks about depression, the seriousness of bullying in schools, um, including school shootings, the term bully side um, her sort of motto engage educate and empower and loads of other things in that sort of realm so that's what you can expect this week now tracy will be releasing her own podcast which is going to be called engage educate and empower that should be out march 19th of this year 2020 and when it gets released i'll mention it on one of the shows that comes out around that sort of time um, and i'll try and post about it on social media but if you follow tracy's site it'll have all the information you need before the chat gets started, there'll be a quick promo by the Brave Files podcast. Um, anyone who's a regular listener will know that Heather Vickery is a friend of mine. Um, she's absolutely amazing. She basically does a show similar to this, but speaks to exclusively inspirational people. Um, Tracy has actually been on her show as well, so that's a good thing if you want to listen to Tracy even more before her show comes out. So yeah, make sure you check out the Brave Files. Anyway, that's enough from me, guys, so I'll let the chat get started in a moment. And uh, yeah, I'll be back at the end to talk about a bit more information and detail. And yeah, I hope you enjoy the chat. This is Heather Vickery. I'm the host of the Brave Files podcast. The Brave Files is an interview show that shares stories of real people who choose to live courageously every day. Each week, we introduce you to a new person that has decided to make brave choices despite all of their fears. From being a social justice warrior to murder in self-defense, to starting a business that allows you to travel the world and everything in between. There are a million ways to choose bravely each and every day. We also feature a charity of the week and learn actionable ways to help make the world better together. The Brave Files provides insight, encouragement, and connection on a deeply human level. So if you're looking for a podcast that's compelling, engaging, and inspiring, check out The Brave Files. You'll find us anywhere you enjoy podcasts. Welcome to Genuine Chit Chat, where we have honest conversations with interesting people. And I'm your host, Mike Burton. So I am joined today by Tracy Maxfield. Tracy, it's absolutely wonderful to have you on the show. You've gone, you've done quite a few different things here, there and everywhere. And I think that you're really an important person, in all honesty, from all the work that you're doing. So I thought instead of me trying to explain uh, to people what you do, why don't you explain to people sort of who you are and what you do, really? Okay, you've got a couple of hours. <laughs> <laughs> so first of all, thank you so much for having me on your show. It's actually quite nice to do podcasts based out of Britain because mm. I am originally from Wales. So born in Wales, long, long, long time ago, early 1960s. <laughs> from a very early age, always wanted to be a nurse. And so actually started my nurse training in Swansea, actually at Morriston Hospital. And in 1987, after I qualified as a nurse, I moved to Canada. 
when in Canada, resumed nursing again when I sat my Canadian equivalency exams, got married, settled in Calgary, moved to Edmonton, went out to the West Coast, Vancouver. Um, all throughout that, continued to nurse, but in different areas. So I did palliative nursing, gerontology, community, private, nursing home, hospital, you name it. I've kind of had a glimpse into all aspects of different components of nursing. And then in 1993, moved into the interior of British Columbia, uh, the Okanagan Valley to Kelowna, which is actually renowned in Canada as God's country. Yeah. Um, because it's got lakes, it's got wineries, orchards, mountains. It, it's just beautiful. It's it's supposed to have a temperate climate. However, here I am, it's minus 22 here Ooh. Celsius. <laughs> And, and it's and it's snow. We've been hit by an Arctic front, which happens once every maybe five to ten years. Um, so whilst in Kelowna, um, life took a dramatic turn. Um, ended up getting separated, divorced. Both my dogs died. Um, moved out, started uh, obviously into my own home, lived on my own, began life as a single woman in my, well, at, at 50 and also started a new position as a team leader in the hospital. And it was during that time that I actually encountered my workplace bully. She was a superior, uh, bullying started 2011, culminated in a meeting on August 20th, 2015, which was so horrendous that I fell down the rabbit hole. I had a nervous breakdown, a mega breakdown, uh, attempted suicide. Um, at that time, didn't even realize that I was experiencing depression uh, because of the physical side effects that I had. I, in my book, I liken it to being weighed down by cement. And it was only after my first suicide attempt that my doctor said, you've got an acute depression. And this is going to take a long time to recover from. Um, it was during that time, obviously, I was not working. I was on medical leave that went on to short-term disability um, therapy every week, then went to every two weeks. And my psychologist said to me, because uh, every time I would go in, I would say to him, can you give me a date when I'm going to be better? Because as a nurse, very analytical, um, wanted a solution was doing everything I was supposed to, had read up so much on depression and just couldn't figure out why wasn't I getting better? Like this was a year in, still wasn't better, still suicidal. And he said, Tracy, um, you have to imagine that your brain has been um, broken into millions of little pieces. And now we're starting to put the pieces back together like a puzzle, but it's not straightforward. A piece will go back here, but it, then nothing will join to it. A piece will go back on this side of the brain. And he said, you have to be patient. You've gone through a very traumatic experience. And so um, it was through his, um, I would say, support and that constant reassurance of, I cannot give you a date. <laughs> he, he, he suggested two things. The first thing was he said, you've got to stop looking to the future as a point of healing and you have to appreciate today you just have to be thankful and exist for today and uh, one way he said was to start expressing gratitude 
And so, I mean, yeah, me going express gratitude. What have I got to be thankful for? You're in this pit of hell. Um, but it was actually the expressing gratitude was the catalyst that helped move me forward. Um, it was um, being able to understand that even though I was in this overwhelming, oppressive hopelessness and darkness, that I could still experience moments of joy during the day. And they propelled me forward. I, I, I think it was give, it gave me the hope that I knew I could experience happiness and joy and I could laugh and smile. And even though it was only um, maybe a moment in time, it enabled me to think, okay, then there's tomorrow and the next day and the next day. And so that actually changed my mindset. And at the same time, he, uh, I would go in and say, you know, I would meet friends and they were all from the hospital. So medical professionals, and they would say to me, you, oh, you can't be depressed. Look at you. You look too good. Or, you know, your doctor's made the wrong diagnosis. And I would get so frustrated. And so he said, start a blog, invite your friends and be very honest in the blog and tell them exactly what you're going through. And so that's what I did. It took me a number of weeks to actually have the courage to do that because I realized in doing so that I was opening myself up. I mean, it was a transparency that was extremely raw and honest, but also I was very vulnerable because of what was going on. And I wasn't sure how, how they would react and how I would react to any comments that came back. And so I did my first blog and immediately I was getting communication back going, oh my God, I'm so sorry. I didn't realize that's how you felt. Um, I didn't, re even doctors were saying to me, didn't even understand this is what depression is. You know, everyone keeps thinking it's there, but it's not, it's a whole body experience. And they kept saying, you should put this in a book. You should write a book. And this was every time I posted a blog. And I was like, yeah, 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 whatever. And then six months later, it was constant put this in a book. People need to understand this is what depression is. And so I very fortunately connected via LinkedIn, um, which is another social media site, with a lady in Montreal who had published books and was also an editor. And I said, you know what? Everyone says, write a book, put this in a book. If I send you my blog, can you give me your honest opinion? And so I sent her my blog and later that day, she phoned me and said, I've got you an editor, write the book. Oh, wow. And that was it. That was in 2017. February 2018 was when my book was officially released. And we call it a soft release because um, there wasn't any fanfare. It just went out on Amazon. And, we, you know, I just told a few friends about it. And then on August 13th was like the official fanfare <laughs> book, book release party. Um, and so, so began what I call my new life journey. It was through um, going to different meetings and presentations. I ended up going to a school, a local school, and talking to teenagers. And it was actually an English class for 15-year-olds. And I was invited because the teacher had read my book and liked the way I used imagery to convey my emotions, like an erupting volcano was how my brain was feeling. 
and she said, I'd love you to come and read excerpts of your book for them to understand how to write creatively. And so I thought, okay, fine. So I went and I decided to take in my book and on my website, all the, I have illustrations in my book and uh, I used them deliberately because I included them in my blog. And it, it's just a very simple figure or a drawing, but it conveys an emotion without you even having to say any words. And as soon as you look at it, you get it. And so many people um, love the illustrations. I had them enlarged for the book release party. I took them with me and I started putting them on the blackboard or the easel behind me as I was setting up. And I could hear every, everything stopped in the room because when I was there, right, they're all on their phones. They're all chitter chat up. And I'm like, yeah, I'm going to get these kids' attention, right? And I started putting the illustrations. They're huge. And all of a sudden, there was silence. And then I could start hearing whispers. That's how I feel. That's how my mom is. Oh, do you think that's what so-and-so's going through? And everything changed in the room. I opened the book up. I introduced myself. I started reading the first chapter about and with imagery. And a hand went up and this teenage boy said, how do you know you have depression? And so I explained. And then another hand went up. My mom has depression. How can I help her? And the next hour was nothing but questions about bullying and suicide and mental illness and what they could do for themselves, what they could do to help others. And what could they do if a friend was kind of suicidal? And at the end of it, the English teacher said, never expected that. Never expected the focus to be on mental illness. And really great, intelligent questions that they wanted to understand, they wanted to know more. And so... She said, you know, um, we didn't get into this descriptive terminology, but I'm really glad they had this opportunity to talk about something that's, as you know, right, it's up, it's up front in the public everywhere right now. We're in a crisis. And then two weeks later, they invited me back and said, would you like to come to Human Library, which is their, their version of Career Day? You sit at a table in the library. My title was author. And beforehand, all the kids would sign up to sit at your table and it would be 30 minute talks about your career and how they could aspire to be what you know a policeman a fireman a doctor whatever yeah. so of course I'm there as an author publisher how to write a book and how to publish it and so I sit down the first group comes in they sit down and it's about ooh, easily nine teenagers 11 to 15 and I start talking about writing a book and you could see them all, you know, what kids are like, right? They're shuffling and they're kind of nudging each other and they're looking across to the other kids. And I'm thinking, okay, this isn't what they signed up for. I just, I had that feeling. And I stopped and I said, I'm sorry, um, you appear a little confused. Is this, did you sign up to sit at my table? And they said, yes. And I said, okay, can you tell me, why did you sign up to sit at my table? And finally, one brave soul had the courage and said, we heard about you. You're the lady that escaped the rabbit hole. And we want you to tell us how you did it. Wow. And so obviously everything had spread from English class. And that was it. It was 
30-minute sessions from 8.30 through till 3 o'clock in the afternoon of teenagers sitting down want to talk about mental illness, bullying, suicide, you name it. And after each segment, as they moved away to make room for the new set to sit down, there was always one or two of them lingering behind me wanting to talk privately. And there was two in every podcast, you will hear me say, two people that changed how I thought about what my new life journey was going to be. 15-year-old girl who came up to me and said, where can I get your book? And I said, well, I'm actually donating a book to the school library. And she goes, no, I want my own. And she pulled back her sleeves and she whispered in my ear, I've just come home from hospital after my second suicide attempt and then lifted her arm and it was just nothing but razor cuts and gouges because she was she was cutting and this was a beautiful intelligent had the most amazing long red hair she was absolutely gorgeous and I looked at her and she was sobbing as she was telling me this and I put my arms around her and I said you should like you're too young you shouldn't be hurting this much we need to help you so I actually gave her a signed copy of my book and then later in the day I was getting ready for my next class and I saw this boy and I'd noticed him in the in the session he was he had a hoodie on and he was very withdrawn in the chair almost he wanted the chair to suck him back in and he did not participate but you could sense this terrific sadness about him and he came he was standing in the corner and he was so embarrassed and he stuttered and he stammered as he came up to me and said you know can I talk to you and I said of course what would you like to talk about and he fell literally fell into my right shoulder sobbing his heart out and he said to me I've been in the rabbit hole for seven years when will I escape and that was it I, I, I actually had to go and spend 20 minutes talking privately with him and after I finished I went I had a final group and then I was getting ready to leave for the day and the school counselor came in and she said to me we brought you here to talk to the kids not to counsel them mm. and I looked at her and I said excuse me she said your role is not to sit and talk with them privately after and I said what do you expect me to do when they're coming to me and they want, they're opening up and telling me things that they've probably not shared with anybody or very few people. And I said, hey, you, you don't need to worry. I'm going to stop by the school principal after and let him know I have some grave concerns about a number of students I spoke to. I said, but I said, secondly, what you need to know is that as soon as they opened up, I offered to walk them to see you. I said, would you like me to walk with you to the school counsellor? And I said, every single one of them said, no, I don't want to talk to her. And I mean, uh, she was bullying me. This, uh, So I was, you can imagine, a little, right? And then she said, well, you know, the boy that you sat outside with? And I said, yes. And she said, why did you waste your time on him? He's a lost cause. He's got so much wrong with him, we'll never figure it out. And that was it. <laughs> I'm glad there was a table in front of me because I was ready to go. 
across and just grab her by the throat. And I looked at her and I said, and that is why they don't want to see you. Mm. Yeah, I mean, I mean, there's a lot there uh, to unpack. But with, with that counsellor, I mean, everyone has encountered those kind of people who they would rather everyone just fails alone than succeeds alone if they can't succeed without them having some sort of involved complex in it. Like if I can't help you and I'm so amazing, then yeah. no one, no one can. And it's this like losing faith. I mean, with a lot of the things you've said, most of my very close friends have uh, suffered with either severe anxiety, uh, depression or bipolar. And three of my very current close friends have uh, tried to, uh, kill themselves essentially i mean um the first girl i ever dated also did um so yeah um suicide and self-harm and i've seen a lot of scars and things on people's arms and things like that and you know inner thighs as well where a lot of people have it and if we stopped the podcast now you would already know how passionate you are about everything and how important you are as i prefaced at the start because obviously i've researched you and our lovely guests probably (laughs) haven't heard you uh um, but it's it's thing it's people like you that we need more because of of the sheer passion of things and it's it's doing the right thing to do the right thing not because you know a lot of people would be or not unfortunately a lot of people would be like this where you know the clock ticks soon as three o'clock doesn't matter leave my time is done and what you've obviously shown is that you actually you care about people and that's one of the big things that i think is lacking a lot in in a lot of the medical practices i'm not saying doctors are bad in in any way but the problem is is that a lot of a lot of especially in england i don't know about canada but in england you know the nhs is suffering it's underfunded and all kinds of other problems and so people who've got these issues they go in they have a doctor's appointment for 10 minutes the doctor doesn't know their life their story or anything and the doctor even if they try their absolute best there's only so much you can do in 10 minutes like we've already been talking for double that And and so I've had friends of mine who have been in lots of different issues and things, and they all generally get the same thing. It's generally speaking, try these pills, see if it makes you feel better, and then work on it. And there's so much more to it than that. And it's so many hundreds and hundreds of layers of things that can contribute towards an unbalanced mind. And, you know, we need more more people to kind of look into this and not just uh, sort of do what this counsellor did and just give up on people you know no one's ever really a lost cause I'd say it's just maybe no. they haven't found the right the right thing um, but I mean getting into sort of what you what your book obviously consists of is obviously a lot of the blog posts and the things of how yeah. you sort of got out of the rabbit hole which is a very interesting way yeah. of, uh, of calling it and things do you nowadays do you spend a lot of your time uh speaking to just children or children and adults or or a bit of both or what's the sort of is there a target audience in air quotes or is it just kind of everyone like where do you where do you go what do you who do you chat to so um what's interesting is my my audience is actually the united states Hmm. um they have embraced me way more than canada has but again with canada an amazing country, but they tend to be followers, not leaders. Mm. Um, Actually, Britain has embraced me more than Canada has. Go figure. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I suppose if America has, we have this weird thing where we do half America. (laughs) And I think, so originally the plan was that I would go and talk, kind of promote my book and talk about depression and help people with depression. And then, of course, after this experience with 
the teenagers. And as I said, at the end of the day, I'd had 63 come up and confide in me about their, their issues and realizing that this is not just something wrong with this particular school, that this is a global issue. After I'd done a lot of research, um, a doctor friend said to me, because um, I, I just bawled my eyes out going home. It was a 30-minute drive home and I was crying because I couldn't believe all these kids were in so much pain. I mean, we're not, they're not even being kids. It's, it's sad and scary. And I told him about my experience and he goes, have you ever thought that is your purpose? That is your purpose. And I was like, no way, I'm not talking to kids. <laughs> you know, it's like, and he goes, 63 kids that don't even know you came and told you everything. He said, this is your purpose. And after a while, I thought, you know what, maybe it is. And so that kind of was the catalyst that started me focusing on, you know what, I'm not going to promote my book. The book can be mentioned, but my focus is I've got to start creating awareness. And that's why my philosophy is engage, educate, empower. You've got to engage kids, especially, in order to educate them. You've got to develop a trust in a relationship. They've got to know that you get what they're talking about. Kids are not, that's why lots of them hate talking to psychiatrists or counselors, because unless they've been there and know the depression, the bipolar, the schizophrenia, the anxiety, whichever mental disorder they have, unless you can say, been there, done that, the trust issue is huge because you won't understand what's going on in their head. And so once you've got that engagement, the education is easier. And what I always believe is the more you know, the better informed you are to make decisions in how you manage your own life and your own care. And that empowers the kids because kids ultimately want to be in charge. They want to be independent. So it's given them the tools that they can go and say, I don't like that. I want to try this. Mm. So that became the whole purpose, the, the new life journey, which resulted in me selling my home because I'm thinking, okay, how do I do this consistently? And I thought, you know what? I don't want to be on my deathbed saying shoulda, coulda, woulda. Mm. I have the opportunity now. I have the audience. Let's just go for it. So I sold my house, donated most of my belongings, put the rest in storage and thought, here I go. And took a year and just went around the States and actually came to the UK and give talks and presentations, lots and lots of podcast interviews, live radio, went on ABC Morning Show, NBC Morning Show, Fox, um, just talking about the work that I'm trying to do uh, because, I mean, I, I follow British news every single day. And every single day, there's a, there's a horrific story about a teenager or a child that's died by suicide because of bullying or because of, um, you know, they had depression or bipolar and no one would help them or the wait list was too long. And the problems that you have in the, in the UK is exactly what we have in Canada. In Canada, it's who is the most suicidal mm -hmm. to get help. And 
in the US, it's getting better in some states, but not all. Um, I've been invited in April to go down to Dallas, Texas, to actually talk about um, bullying because so many kids there have, have died by suicide and they call it bully side now, right? Mm. It's the new term. So many have died by bully side, really, that they're arranging for me to go to schools and do workshops and talk about it, which is huge because Texas, men in Texas have cyberbullied me the worst of anybody else oh, wow. because of the work I'm doing. Yeah. Um, so that was quite interesting that I'm actually going, that I'm going to Texas to talk about the very topic that the men keep telling me there doesn't need to be talked about. That is crazy. To bounce off that out of interest, because obviously, um, well, I'd heard you speak about this uh, before, you know, everything you say in my mind makes a lot of sense. And, you know, any perspective on trying to help, you know, relatively speaking, should at least be considered and i don't like people when they like that counselor who without even thinking without even listening or anything just shut something down like that's not the way anyone should go forward and some of the most brilliant minds of the ages have been told by hundreds of people you know like you know uh, nikola tesla you know galileo all these people there's obviously more recent ones as well but you know people telling them they shouldn't do this blah 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 because yeah. you know this is the way we do it or that's the way we do it and your way's wrong even though i'm not even going to listen and so i want to ask do, do you find you actually have like a, a lot of resistance um, from sort of what you've been saying and what you've been going yes. around and speaking to people? A lot. Is it from, do you find there's like a, a specific demographic? Is it like more teachers, for example, or more doctors, for example, or more just men, for example? Is there like a, a group that specifically is against you or is it kind of like pitter-pattered everywhere? I usually find that um, in the UK, it was men. Um, in the USA, it's men in specific states. Right. So, for example, Texas is very much a cowboy, steak-eating, cattle-rustling, rodeo kind of, right? Huge. And their, their comments to me was, um, you know, you just need to stand up to the bully. You need to punch him in the face, a quick blow to the throat, set him straight. And I'm like, do you even understand what the new genre of bullying is to start with? And how do you do that to your cyber bully? And they would say comments like, you need, and this is a quote that I've used because I still have it. He said, you need a good slap and go back into the kitchen and put on your apron where you belong and start cooking for your husband and children because that's your role. I didn't even know. I mean, it's so how sheltered I am, and obviously I'm a white male in England. I when I hear that sort of thing, it's like I obviously know sexism exists and I know the sort of stereotype. But when you actually hear someone say it is so so dumb, but it's, it's like almost a joke when it's not like not to display obviously no 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 I know I've been to receive, but it's it's actually baffling to even understand how someone could think that it, it it's crazy. And I'm sorry that you had to go through that, but by the sound of things, people are really listening, and the majority are really taking in what you're saying. And I think the challenge is is that we know that there is such. A stigma around mental illness and we we've made a lot of headway but we still haven't quite got it because what happens is the media will only report it 
when it's a horrific story like a school shooting and then instead of looking at the reasons why that person took a gun and went and murdered kids they just say oh crazy insane gun control and it's like no 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 nothing to do with that look at what this person went through columbine um the two teenagers in columbine that was actually the first mass school shooting both of them had been bullied and ridiculed for years and years and nobody did anything Mm -hmm. and there's one thing i will quickly add is a tiny bit that i know which is i know that the vast majority if not all of the school shooters uh from america at least were bullied were bullied and also they were on uh, most of them were on like antidepressants and so being not saying antidepressants cause cause school shooters but obviously that means that they were mentally unwell to do something like that exactly and we we know that if you're bullied relentlessly and actually it was a british researcher found if you're bullied relentlessly it actually changes your brain your mm. brain does not develop normally which then sets you up for developing a mental disorder as you grow older. And so, yes, they had a mental disorder. They weren't crazy, they weren't insane. They desperately needed treatment and management and somebody to have dealt with the bullies. Like Eric Harris, who was one of the Columbine shooters, left in his suicide note the reason why he was doing it. And he said to all of those, who ridiculed and punished and bullied me. This is a message to all the parents. I'm now taking your kids away. Mm. It's not the right way to do it. It is the extremes of what can happen. But again, everyone in the States, the first thing they do is scream gun control. If If he didn't have a gun, he wouldn't do it. I call bullshit. Look in Britain about the machete attacks. Hmm. Now, I'm not saying that any of those were bullied. There's other reasons going on. But the fact is, is that you can have a you can pick different weapons of choice. So they didn't have a gun. They may have gone in with machetes and swords and knives. Still the same thing. Or cars, things like that. In England, we've had a lot of things. Right. They could have a homemade bomb, set fire, run them over with a vehicle. We have seen people use so many different methods if they want to take out a person or a group of people. And so, but they like to go back on the, oh, crazy, crazy, crazy gun control. And then they, you know, they go back and get back to life. So the media will report on the negative components of that. And then the media will report if a celebrity dies by suicide. So when Kate Spade and Anthony Bourdain both uh, ended their lives by suicide last year within like, I think it was three days of each other or something. Mm. I mean, it was a huge shock. Even I was like, whoa, it sent me down the rabbit hole for a couple of days, just trying to figure that out. And they talk about it for maybe three, four days, and then it disappears. And this is, this is the prime example. Last year in May, I was in Kansas. I went on TV did some presentations and then I was supposed to fly to Tampa, Florida to appear on the ABC morning show because it was mental illness awareness month. And they want, and I was to talk about the work that I was doing and also then do a, you know, a little bit about my book. And five days before I was supposed to go down, they said, no, we're not having her on the show. 
why? Oh, we're going to do something else. Just as I was about to leave, one of the actresses from the Game of Thrones appeared on the Dr. Phil show and started talking about years before she had had a terrible depression and how she'd, with support, had moved forward and gotten stronger. And so they wanted her on the show instead because, quote unquote, she'll bring better advertising dollars. Right. Now, the irony was, of course, that the only reason she decided to open up about it then was it was two weeks before the premiere of the very last series of the Game of Thrones. So they wanted to get the audience. You know, there's mm. always a reason. The same as The Rock opened up about his depression. And he's been great advocating, but he only opened up about it a week before his movie was going to be released. And mm. so it's I think the challenge is, is that everything is plotted for when it's released, ultimately to bring in the more people to go to the movies, to bring in the money. And then they don't talk about it ever again. Mm. And I think that's the source of frustration because even though I think it's great to have musicians and movie stars talk about it, it helps the kids, the teenagers, to open their eyes and go, okay, they're saying I should get help, I should go for help. Because they're not consistently doing it, it fades away again. Mm. And I think the the only one right now that has been consistently vocal is Lady Gaga. Mm, yeah. But, but if you don't follow Lady Gaga or you don't like her, then you're not hearing a message. Mm-hmm. And at the end of the day, as I found out, and as lots of us have found out, it's people talking about ev- about their stories every day, regular Joes that you could see in the supermarket or on the bus, sharing what they've been through. And all intents and purposes, you look and act normal. That's when people start relating. Mm. Yeah, I completely agree with you there. I mean, it's it's one of those things where for a while as I was growing up, because I was born in the 90s. So, you know, um, as I was growing up and things, I didn't hear a huge amount of mental illness. And then suddenly it was you know, in the public eye and it was almost like nothing for ages. And then you just get blasted by it for a week yes. and then it's gone again. And then yes. you're like, what, what, what? so what was that? And then you get blasted again. And you're just like, what, what's happening? And there's no, as you say, there's no consistency. And the only reason I know about it much at all is because unfortunately obviously so many people close to me suffer through these things so i've seen it secondhand in that regard but you shouldn't have it so that just yet you only way you know about mental illness is just have loads of friends who are suffering and that makes it okay because it's not and people like you trying to push it forward and make it the norm to talk and i think it's the vulnerability and i think one of the reasons so many men have been um so resistant to what you've been saying is including in england is that sort of um the stereotypical conservative mindset as in not political i mean of being a conservative man of like you know don't show emotion don't talk about your feelings don't be vulnerable and people see that as a weakness and it really upsets me because there's so many men and in england i believe if you're between the ages of 16 and 30 the number one cause of death if you're male is suicide so i'm more likely to die of my own hand than anything else at my age which is so upsetting and there's still so many people who even my age who i'm very open and i talk about my feelings and i give people hugs and all these sorts of other things but there's still men who are very much not only men but from my experience there's a lot of it are men of just that closeness and that 
not wanting to be vulnerable and then obviously when you don't want to be vulnerable with people it makes it harder and harder and harder and you build up these walls and walls and walls and eventually you've got this huge barricade up around you so i mean how do you you see that people are kind of getting better with that or is it more so a a hope at present what i'm finding is because as you said i mean mental illness is 365 days a year and the fact that you know so many people shows how common it is exactly yeah right and so that's why i always post social media even on christmas day right it's 365 days a year that's why i do weekly videos weekly blog posts it's constant because we live it every day what i found is that parents are becoming more more aware and more receptive definitely because uh, like every day in in the united states 16 teenagers will die today by suicide hmm. tomorrow another 16 now i think it's higher because these were based on last stats 3041 will attempt suicide today 3041 and that's just grades 9 through 12 so this is a huge problem and so i think lots of parents are starting to get it because it's very unusual now in America that you go to a school which hasn't been affected by a suicide. There's ones near me, my friend, uh, some of my friends and things, and even the school, one of the schools my niece goes to, they had an incident two years ago where a girl killed herself, unfortunately, and it's, it is an epidemic, as you as rightly said. Oh, it earlier. is. It is. And it's, it's only going to get worse. I mean, when I started this journey, Back in 2018, suicide was the third leading cause of death in kids. The new stats are, and it's this is global, it's the second leading cause of death in kids age 5, 5 to 24. And I mean, I don't I don't know if you have it so much in the UK, and we certainly don't have it in Canada, but in the US, we are having kids age five hanging themselves. Jesus, I can't say I've seen that over here, but yeah, isn't that it's beyond horrific. And it was because of bullying at age five. Now, these kids don't even understand the concept of life and death, but they were able to go and do enough research on the Internet to know how to do it. And that's actually primarily one of the reasons why Dallas asked me to ask me to come and talk to them is because they had three suicides in one week over Thanksgiving. And one of them was a six year old girl who hung herself because of bullying. Couldn't even comprehend that. Oh my God. And 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 I think it was because of that, like they were they had a 12 year old and a 15 year old as well. And it's almost like people have become quite blase if they're over the age of 10 oh it's a suicide they will go you know hormones you know what it's like they go through all this they blame everything on hormones and changes and selfishness and all that and which is completely untrue but then as soon as you have the a six-year-old girl hang herself it's like what the hell and i think that really shocked them and again um, the, the parents went to the media because they had gone to this school for a couple of years saying she's been bullied relentlessly and you're not doing a thing. And that's that's another issue. So that's I, I don't you know, I can't talk about mental illness and suicide without bringing in bullying. Mm-hmm. 
because they're so closely intertwined. You either bully because you have a mental disorder or you bullied because, or if you are bullied, you could highly likely develop a mental disorder. Like it's, it's you know, it's so closely connected. Um, primarily my work is with kids. So yeah, that was a long winded response to an earlier question. That's fine, no, I love it. It's, primarily it's my work is with children, teenagers and adults, because mm. uh, especially um, high incidence of suicide in colleges and u- universities as well. Um, but uh, also involved with veterans, especially in the USA, and it's actually adults, period. Um, I, When I was in Britain, I actually gave presentations on workplace bullying at a hospital. Okay, wow. And so, yes, I did a podcast last week, and the focus was on how to help in the workplace because, um, you know, bullying, bullying, whether you're a child or an adult, has the same emotional impact challenges you have to deal with it differently as an adult Mm -hmm. than you would if you were a child or a teenager so yes whilst my focus is on the kids if someone says will you come and do a presentation to a room full of bank managers or you know mums or something absolutely because as you know the majority of mental disorders will be a lifetime journey with you. I have depression. I'm out of the rabbit hole. I still have days when I go back down the rabbit hole. And so it's ways of learning to manage your disorder, but not let it take over your life. Yeah. No, I mean, it's a part of you, but it doesn't define who you are. And I think this is what people need to start understanding. You should never allow your mental illness or disorder to define who you are. It is a part of you. And it can actually be considered, if you look at it proactively, as a gift. Like in my book and in my speeches I've done since, I've always said, despite what happened to me, I consider it a gift. Hmm. And I'm glad I had the opportunity to go through it because I came out of it a very different person, but I feel a, a, a much better person. Yeah, I mean, it's it's I've, I've obviously with a lot of my friends who've got uh, mental illness, they what what I didn't initially understand was kind of precisely what you clarified, which was, you know, there's, especially when you're younger and you maybe don't fully understand it, you know, people say, oh, I'm depressed or I have depression. And you go, the first thing is immediately just go, you don't look sad. And it's like, there's such a overly simplistic and unhelpful way of looking at things because it's uh-huh. like, you know, if you say I'm gem- like the other, if you try and look at it the other side of the coin, I'm generally a happy person. That doesn't mean you're never sad. And it's, you know, it's, if you really want to simplify it, you could almost look at it in that way of just, it's not, it's not that simple. It, it's a, obviously it's a mental illness. It's, it's a, it's a part of you as you, if you rightly say. And I just, with, with the way things are going and stuff, do you believe that, for example, social media is having a huge impact on these things, obviously, because children and bullying and things, obviously, cyberbullying is a huge element of that. Uh-huh. I assume that you would uh, agree with probably that uh, social media is having potentially a, a negative, net, yes, yeah. n- net yes. negative effect. Yes, um, I did w- back in November, part of my YouTube and blog series in November, because it was Bullying Prevention Awareness Month, was about different components of bullying. And I did one on cyberbullying. And I said, it's not the cause of the increase in bullying and mental illness, but it is a contributory factor because, A, we have, we have kids as young as two walking around with cell phones. Hello. 
It's become the new babysitter. It's become the new role model. And unless you've got parents or a parent who is taking a very active role in looking at which, you know, what are you doing on Facebook? Who are you talking to? What sites are you visiting? And actually putting in safety measures, unless they're doing that, and you're just allowing them because they're quiet and they're not bothering you. You don't know what they're researching, like the six-year-old child girl who hung herself when they went into her phone, she'd researched it. Hmm. And I mean, I find it quite horrific that you can actually find suicide methods on the web. Um, You know, if you type in certain words, especially if you're under the age of 18, I think it should automatically block you from accessing that. We, I think we, we need more checks and balances in place so kids not allowed to access that so easily if you know there's always ways around it but so mm-hmm. easily but yes i think social media has a, has a great role in that it can connect you with people in a matter of minutes around the world and it can give you information which can be very empowering and very helpful however there is also a huge um, component of it which is very dark and scary and gives, uh, I mean, the fact that you can go on there and someone can steal your identity or Photoshop pictures and then send them around the world of you in pornographic or compromising positions can actually turn the words around. So then you become a victim of hatred. Um, I think it's taken on a new life of itself because it was never looked at And now they are, now they're trying to, and I'm glad they are, but they've got a hell of a lot of work to do because people have become so creative that you have to dig so deep and have the knowledge to even find out where these people are located. I mean, I'm not sure if you have it in Britain right now, but in in the USA especially, we now have fake identities created in chat rooms and especially on WhatsApp. And we have girls going to meet new friends that they have met online and actually they're kidnapped and they're taken into and they're forced into sex, human trafficking. Mm, That that has happened, that sort of thing. Yeah. Yeah. This is a huge problem in the States right now with the number of young girls and young children that are being abducted. And, you know, it's so scary because we know pedophiles, right? There's so many expose shows and guys that masquerade as 14-year-old teenagers who meet a 12-year-old. We know that we're exposing it, and yet we're still not putting the checks and balances in place to even stop that information going to that laptop or that tablet. And I think it's there's no accountability. Like they Mark Zuckerberg has been brought forward so many times to talk about the BS that's going on with Facebook and he still gets away with it. Mm. You know, it's like, no, it's, I mean, only now has Instagram taken down pictures of suicide and self-harm because every time they ran something on, on suicide on Instagram, the emergency departments in the United States were clogged with kids copying Mm, yeah no and i think my biggest challenge is that 
we're no longer treating children and teenagers as children and teenagers with de developing and learning brains. If your brain isn't fully developed in a female until you're 21 to 24 and a male until you're 24 to 27, why are we allowing them to go to sites to see images on the news, on social media, the video games, right? Classic example, that's now a mental condition because of the addiction. We're exposing them to so much that they, they can't even begin to fathom and understand and comprehend. And yet we're not sitting down then and explaining to them, well, this doesn't happen in real life. Well, this is wrong. Well, this is immoral. This is illegal. Unless we're doing that, what they're saying becomes part of their norm and they're so desensitized to foul language and violence and things that, I mean, the classic example were those two teenagers who a couple of years ago in Britain nailed a plank of wood into the head of an autistic boy because they mm. saw it on TV and wanted to know what it was like. Yeah. I mean, what the hell? Since how did you not know that nailing, putting a nail into someone's head was going to be a problem? Mm -hmm. And it's education is the big key here, which is, is what you're, yes. you're striving to do is, as you rightly said, you know, if you don't teach your kids anything, what they're going to do is they're going to go on the smartphones and they're going to go on pornographic imagery. They're going to go on horrible suicidal things and violence and all these things. And without the proper, not only tools to restrict that way you can, but also conversations so they understand things. Like when I was younger, my brother would let me watch uh, films that were above my age limit, but he would always watch them first and speak to my parents and make sure yes. I understood everything. I'm not Because obviously it's not that blanket violent video games cause bad people. What it is is that without proper explanation to the wrong people, without everything making sure that they can have handle it making sure you, know, you don't yes. show a five-year-old an 18 what you do is you show them maybe a 12 see how they think about that as or not want to be a five-year-old being a 12 that's exaggerate but you know what i mean like you have a no, little baby steps you take it as an individual basis you educate your child you talk to them you hear them you listen to them you don't just as you say give them a phone and say there you go because they will inevitably or at least some of them will inevitably find something that will be damaging to them in some way and if they don't know how to process it and you don't even know they're processing it then it's only going to spiral Exactly. Education is such a key thing in obviously mental illness and also, as you say, regulation with so many different things. And I feel like with today, with it's great having a phone in your pocket that can access every piece of information ever. But it's, I mean, me, I mean, I'm 25 and even I'm like overwhelmed by Netflix and video games, all these information and things. I know. And I've grown up with it. And I'm like the generation that's meant to be the most okay with it. Whereas my nieces and things, they're quite a bit younger than I am. And it's like, they started from square one already with these things. And if, if the proper checks aren't put into place, then it is, it's data overload. It's like, how, how can, there's no filter. How can you process this ungodly amount of information? Well, exactly. And also what social media has done, it's created unhealthy role models where the epitome of beauty is like a Kim Kardashian or someone. And so it's materialistic goods. And this is the this is what we define as beauty without understanding that, you know, there's plastic surgery involved, there's photoshopping involved, there's a team of people that create this. It's unattainable. And yet they keep hoping that by emulating whoever it is that you know is their idol male or female that then more people will like them and they will belong and it's like no because the people then that will you will will like you just because you happen to look like kim kardashian 
most of them are very insecure, self-centered, not really true friends. They only want you because now you're the popular girl in school or the popular guy and you have all these friends they want to belong. And it's we're not helping educate our kids on values such as kindness and understanding and compassion and respect and self-love. Mm-hmm. 100%. Right? You know, and I think that's the reason why bullying has gotten out of control as well, is that if you're not teaching your kids how to deal with people that say nasty things about you or, you know, um, kind of get on your case, it's like we almost need to have a class, like how to grow a backbone 101, mm. right? It's like, you are better than, you know, do not sink to their level. You are stronger than that. You are loved. You are a great person. So you, you have to look at that person they're hurting. And, you know, you just have to look at them and say, whatever, and walk away because then you've deflated their power. And I, I actually did a section on that. They call it fogging. Okay. Interesting. Teaching kids how to fog certain statements that you can say and then walk away from the bully or bullies, it takes away their power immediately because what they want, they want you to shout, no, not true, or scream or cry or run away. But if you look at them straight in the eye and bullies do not like eye contact, if you look at them straight in the eye and say, whatever, and shrug your shoulders like, really, you're an idiot, and walk away, their power goes down immediately. And then they actually look foolish in front of everybody else. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, why aren't we helping our kids to become upstanders? You know, give them the tools that if they see someone being ridiculed or mocked, they don't join in. They actually, you know, come to that person and say, come with me. Or go to the bully and say, you're just being mean and that's not right. And then lead lead the kid away. If kids and teenagers were taught how to do that, they would develop more self-confidence and have an enhanced self-worth that others follow suit. Then when they see someone doing that, they're like, oh, well, I can do this. Mm-hmm. We've forgotten how to teach our kids that. We've forgotten core values of, you know, politeness and holding the door open. And, you know, okay, so Joey's in our class and Joey actually is not doing well and he has some problems. Let's be a little bit extra kind and help him out. We've lost all that. Mm -hmm. And, you know, we still have kids that do that, but the majority don't. And if we don't show and encourage them how to do it, how are they going to learn how to do it? Exactly. And the key thing here is what you've said specifically is a a buzzword that I was going to say, which is the tools. You know, all these things aren't, there's no magic fix to make all these things go away. So um, everyone kind of wants this immediate minute, like tomorrow solution. When reality is you need to teach children as well as just sort of adults and things, but start Mm -hmm. obviously starting from children tools of how to deal with xyz when you have mental illness if you feel that you know feel like you're falling into the rabbit hole you need to know that you can confide in people that you can you know write gratitude journals you can do this there's all sorts of different things that one can do and it's all just tools in your toolbox of how to deal with life and i was bullied in um sec primary and secondary school actually and you know i was quite lucky because i had um good friends especially in secondary school and i had older brothers who were substantially older than me my my older brother's like 17 and 20 years older than me because they had that experience i'd go and see them and i talked to them about it and they'd be like oh 
well, if they do this, you know, if someone, I used to be a very fat kid, uh, if someone calls you fat and you get really upset about it, obviously they're going to keep doing it. But if you yeah. try and, you know, and if you try and fight back, they'll get a rise out of you. But if yeah. you just, you know, either you don't show that you're bothered or maybe even you make a joke before they can, or different things that can work for yeah. a different bullying situation. And that's how I learned. And I was like, okay. And I went into school and I stopped letting them bother me. And I realized that quite from a young age that when someone is trying to bully me, the reality is, is that there's something, for lack of a better word, wrong with them, and they're trying oh, to push it on me. And absolutely. it's not me who's. The, and that's the thing I find with victims a lot of the time is you get a victim, and they're the ones who are like, "Oh no, I'm a problem because they're attacking me." When in reality, it's the other way around. You're fine, in air quotes. They're the one that's trying to bring you down to their level, and we should all be bringing each other up. And we need those I tools to do that. Hundred percent agree. Hundred percent agree. And and that's it. It's I always say right. Every behavior. There is a reason behind every behavior. If Sue is bullying all the other girls and boys at school, what's going on with Sue? What's going on in her life that she feels she needs to push her pain? Because that's what they're doing. They're pushing their pain onto you to try and make you feel as bad as they really feel deep down inside. And whilst I believe in accountability, um, I always say to parents, we need to take a yes the victim needs help without a shadow of a doubt however the bully needs help too because for all you know the bully if she's like a nine-year-old girl she may be going home and she may be sexually abused Mm -hmm. yeah there may be drugs in the home uncle may be doing something we you've got to look there is a people don't bully for the sake of bullying when someone is in turmoil and pain and anguish and frustrated and are hurting so bad that they're not being heard, they transfer it onto other people and they usually pick the more vulnerable. So it is maybe the child who has a stammer or who is fat or has a crooked nose or has a mental um, disorder, you know, or a tick or something. They never pick on people that are as strong and equal to them. They will always go for a weakness to exert the power and control. And so it's, yes, we we really need to start building kids up so they have self-worth and confidence in themselves and to actually know that it's really not them. It is the other person, but the other person needs help. Yeah, I think I, I read on um, one of your, uh, I think it's one of your blog posts or a uh, link to one of your videos, and it was, um, you coined the term bully victim, which bully I thought victim, was brilliant. Yes. Yeah, and, and it's basically what you were saying, wasn't it? It was that if someone is a bully, it's not just they're just a bully and that's that. It's a lot of the time, if a child is acting out in school, for example, a lot of the time there's something else going on that you can't see that's when Absolutely. they're not in school. It needs an air of sympathy, you know, with a lot of these aspects of of what you're speaking about. We need the tools to fix these things and help people help themselves. But you need to be sympathetic towards them while also in the same breath trying to be firm and fair. And it's it's a tightrope. But people like you are really doing it. And as I said, it is a tightrope. And it's, it's, it's just one day at a time. Because, again, these are topics that people unless they face themselves or have had experience or know someone, they don't want to go there because we we are the nation of ostriches. We like to bury our heads in the sand. It's not my problem. Mm. Not my problem. Oh, they had it coming. Oh, well, they'll get theirs. And it's like, hold on a minute. When did we become so 
ambivalent and nasty. Uh, you know, I mean, we've lost the sense of community. And mm -hmm. Britain used to have, Britain was famous for its for community, right? That sense of connection. And yes, maybe they were a little too nosy, you know, where they knew everyone's business. But I think you have to have a little better understanding of what's going on in the world around you because it will it will impact you at some point. If if your next door neighbor you know is abusing the child and the child is now a terror and a bully and into drugs and alcohol and crime and you say nothing to do with me not not my business what if he then goes on and rapes or kills your granddaughter or or breaks into your home and attacks you and your wife right they're not understanding that it could have far-reaching consequences even down the road. So why aren't we dealing with the problems upstream to prevent the catastrophe that is going to happen downstream? And that's always been the way I've tried to explain to people. Sometimes you've got to pour money into solving issues now to get the long-term gain. Because right now we are spending millions and millions of dollars trying to deal with the catastrophes downstream. And meanwhile, there's millions going on that are now being diagnosed, not getting the help and support they need. Why are we waiting for them to get to the waterfall? Mm -hmm. You exactly. know, and that's that's the issue. It's um, people say, oh, we don't like spending money. I, I worked in, I've worked in the healthcare system for 36 years. If, if people knew where their tax dollars were going in the healthcare system and in the hospitals, they would be blown out of the water. Hmm. And it's like, no, it would actually, it's actually cheaper for us to use the money and do and start working on it now, especially for the next generation, because the effects globally would be, amazing i mean kids are our future mm -hmm. kids are our future you know you want to you want a cure for cancer cure for the common cold how do you not know that the kids born right now are not those that are going to do that exactly and as you pointed out there i mean we're slowly coming towards the end so we'll start to wrap up in a moment but um it's uh, one thing that you kind of said there which is one thing that i've i completely 100 percent agree with and it is the big problem as well is that they're trying to have the quick, fast uh, sort of option and things, not really uh -huh. digging deep, not looking at the long-term solutions. And all they're doing is basically treating the symptoms and not the cause. They're going in a room and going, this room yeah. smells bad. Let's spray some air freshener and leave it instead of going, what's actually causing this smell? Right with you. Absolutely. You've got to look at what is going on. The same as when we started off the school shootings, right? Mm -hmm. Instead of blaming, oh, he's just crazy insane and he has a gun, let's ban guns. Let's actually look at, okay, what brought him to this pivotal moment? Where did we go wrong as a society? Not, not finger pointing blame individual people. As a society, where did we go wrong here? Mm -hmm. And that's, I mean we have to start owning and facing up to the issues because this world is imploding. It really is. I, I completely agree with you. It's very dark. It's very scary. We have the threats of war, nuclear war, riots, mass murders, global warming, you name it. I mean, <laughs> you know, it's like, come on, people, step up and stand together. Because quite honestly, 
if we had a World War Three, although it would be very different from how World War One and Two went, people wouldn't stand together, wouldn't come together like they did then. It would be kill, kill and be killed within ourselves, you know, with each other. We've seen what's happened, right? There's a forest fire, people go and build homes, right? A town is cut off because of flooding, um, the dam that was going to break last year, and all the homes were broken into. Really? Mm. You know, like, yeah, it's, um, it's, it's not pretty out there. It's not, but people like you are making the world brighter. And that's exactly what we need is people just like yourself who, you know, you've gone through hardship and gone through some very unpleasant times, but you are being the best kind of human. You are using your experience and the darkness that you've seen to help others find the light. And that's, that's what we should all be doing. It is. You know, if we were all just a little kinder every day, that would have such a huge impact. Just a little kinder, a little more thoughtful, because you don't know what that other person is going through. You have no idea. You cannot judge them and you cannot make assumptions. Just be a little kinder because you just smiling and saying hello or doing something to help another human being could be the pivotal moment in saving their life. You don't know. Mm, exactly it's it's the ripple effect it's the yeah. everyone is all interconnected and being nice costs nothing so we should all just try to do it more i absolutely agree yes is there anything before we uh, fully wrap up here um i'll include links and things to everything that you've um well all your blog and your website yeah. and your youtube channel etc is there anything that you'd like to just add just before we uh, sort of finish out here um to anyone listening to this take 40 seconds out of your life Go and find your kids or kid. Just spend a couple of minutes with them. Put your arm around them, hug them, whatever is that connection, and tell them how proud you are and how much you love them. I mean, is there anything more beautiful than that to end on? <laughs> no, it is, because you don't know what's going through their mind, and they could have been deciding to do something that was bad. You could have changed that moment. Kids need to know that they're loved and valued. Mm, and so do people. And it's, you know, as Absolutely. a parent's job, it's your first job is with your child's safety and ensuring they know they're loved. So just go and tell them it is because I would hate for you to be the parent that wakes up one morning and your child has killed him or herself. Exactly. And so on that note, I mean, Tracy, it's been absolutely incredible to speak with you. And, you know, if uh, you. further down the line, if you end up uh, releasing a, another book or you sort of have any further sort of notes on this journey, you're always welcome back on the show because it has been an absolute delight and more people need to hear from you. Thank you so much. It's been a pleasure. And that's the end of the podcast. Thanks as always for tuning in, guys. Um, as I said in the intro, be sure to check out Tracy's site, which is in the description. Um, she's got a podcast that should be coming out March 19th of this year, 2020. Um, that'll be called Engage, Educate and Empower. Um, so, you know, keep up to date with Tracy on her website and that sort of thing. And also when the her podcast is launched and things, I'll be sure to mention it in one of these ending rambly things of some sort. And I may end up going on her show. I don't know. I'll probably post about it on social media and stuff. So, you know, keep up to date on Instagram, Twitter and Facebook as the usual sort of stuff. Um, I also really like reviews on iTunes and any other platform, so be sure to do that if you really like the show too. It does mean a lot. Coming up, and also previous episodes, um, the last two episodes I did, uh, the last one was with a gentleman called John Vespasian. Um, that is in a similar realm to this, but not quite. Um, it's about self-help, and he's an author, and he uses history to kind of give lessons on 
the the current the present so he, he uses historical biographies a lot and he, he looks at a lot of sort of things from different eras and tries to use them in a way of rational living um so you know check out that chat it's only a single chat as well much like this one so nice and easy less than an hour or so um and then also the week before that was and the week before that one was part one and two of my chat with janine mercer she's of the odd entity podcast and we speak about the wonderful the weird and the macabre uh we speak about death dealing with death we speak about lots of crazy stories that she has about uh, going on trips and eating donkey balls and going down like mines paranormal experiences all that sort of crazy strange stuff so if you like the weird make sure you go check out that episode um, coming up, I've got two podcasts recorded and one this Thursday that is due to be recorded, uh, and then one. Well, then I've got three coming up in like the space of like two days, which I'm going to be doing as well. Um, so the one I've got recorded, I thought I had two recorded, and I said two. I meant one, and I'm not going to edit it because <laughs> ending. You know, when I do these end rambly things, it's generally more of a ramble sort of thing rather than me having to go through and edit it with a fine tooth comb. Um, but yeah, the the one I've got recorded is with a gentleman called Maxwell Ivy. He's also known as the Blind Blogger. Um, that episode will be out probably next week i think it's going to be a part one and part two job so i don't i haven't really figured it out it depends how my recording on thursday goes but he's a blind gentleman and he's really inspirational and he's just really nice and we had a great laugh we didn't just talk about being blind the whole time um or him being blind not me um but he's a really really fun guy and i had a lot of fun talking to him i'm probably going to go on his show maybe and he's probably going to come on my show again so that's a really good one um one i've got recording on thursday normally i wouldn't talk about but he's been a guest before so it's kind of safer on that regard uh, his name is Frank Burton. He's been on two other episodes. Um, he, The last one he was on, he was speaking about his book, The 100, all about short stories and things. And before that, he was speaking about his podcast, Ragbag, as well as his epilepsy, which is quite interesting. Um, he has a type of epilepsy, which you don't get seizures from light, seizures from light and things, uh, which is quite interesting. And he goes into that, so you can check that one out. It's also the only episode I've recorded outside. Uh, we recorded it in a park uh, in London or oxford or somewhere near him um which was quite cool as well uh so that that was a little while ago i'll make sure i make a note of it and um when that episode airs i'll you know mention what other episodes he's been in um and then also i've got one with goth of beer nuts productions who is another blind gentleman but he is an australian filmmaker um director writer actor he does a lot of crazy things uh and he was the first legally blind person to write edit star in produce i think and something else um a feature film uh, he made a documentary um i think it's called i will not go quietly um so when he comes on the show i'm planning on watching that documentary having him on and he's going to talk about his new film he primarily does comedy films his first one was a documentary and everything else is a comedy film so very interesting in that regard uh, i've got two others lined up but i'm not going to speak about them because they haven't been guests before goff's been on twice before so it's frank so it's easy to talk about them because it's not really a big deal because we'll just reschedule um that's more or less it guys uh, from this rambly end um i went to Cirque du soleil uh i went to their luzia um one which was in london and it's all about sort of mexico and things um i went there last night there's pictures of that on facebook facebook man there's pictures of that on instagram and one on twitter i go on instagram i think it's like 10 photos or something it was absolutely incredible um i've never been to the Cirque du Soleil before I've never really been a huge fan of the circus but it was encapsulating everything cool about circuses like insane juggling immense feats of human strength and determination as well as a really cool show um and it's and really good music as well so that was amazing and I've never been before and I now look forward to going to future Cirque du Soleil things I'm not really a big fan of the circus in general anyway but it was sort of a modern 
version of it with a lot more theatrics and a lot more crazy stuff so really recommend that to people um follow me on all the usual social media channels as i said twitter instagram and facebook um i really appreciate anyone just following if you're interested or sharing if you think other people will enjoy it um and one of the best ways this show spreads is by word of mouth so check the back catalog if you're only listening for the first time and you're listening all the way to the end then most of the end is normally a rambly mess just to warn you for any future listens but there are plenty of episodes to get your teeth into um on youtube barely anyone listens but i put them in playlists on there so it's quite good if you listen on you know overcast or apple podcast or acast or any of the other podcasting apps or whatever um if you like this show quite a lot but you don't want to read every single description and everything go on youtube it says all the episode numbers and what who the people are in it and etc um and they're in playlists so you can see which ones are sort of more science-based which ones are more funny which are about mental health like this one which ones are with fellow podcasters uh, which ones about movies travel there's lots of different ones but i a lot of them are in more than one category just to clarify a lot of them overlap so you know check out youtube and those things uh, to see what playlist they're in and share do all the usual sort of lovely social media stuff i appreciate each and every one of you listening especially to the end it does mean a lot and i'll talk to you guys next week so i hope you have a brilliant week